Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. I'm, I'm so glad that you are here with us. Um, if you have not, we'd love for you to say hello in the chat. Love to know who's here, how we can pray for you. Uh, if you have prayer needs, you can put them in the chat. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. You can send us a Facebook message. We meet live and in person and online every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Uh, in person, we have masks, we're socially distanced, we're doing all the, the things we need to be safe and responsible. And then online, uh, new Bible studies premiere every Sunday at 10.30 a.m., uh, either in video version on our Facebook page or at our website, faithonhill.com. There is also an audio-only version on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. If you are watching on Facebook, we want to say welcome. We are glad that you are here. Uh, encourage you to, to say hello in the chat. Maybe share this on your Facebook page. We do believe that the best viewing and interactive experience is at our website, faithonhill.com. Also, during the week, we have online small groups. Uh, we meet on the Zoom platform. And if you don't have a link, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. Uh, we talk about questions that are based off of this sermon and every Sunday sermon, you know, so I, we, we go through this Bible study and then this Wednesday we will talk more about this Bible study. Um, we also pray together and, and we check in on one another. It is really the next step. If you're here with us on Sunday morning and you're saying, what's the next step at Faith on Hill? It's our small groups. And then also during the week, we released the 20-minute Bible study. We're currently going through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Daniel. And before we start, I just want to say I'm so thankful uh, that you are here. And, and it's been great to be able to stay connected as a church uh, for those who it's not safe for them to join with us or who don't feel safe. Um, I, I know that we have a lot of people who are going through a lot of different trials right now. I want you to know that, that you are remembered, you are not forgotten, and just because you can't be here with us physically, it does not mean that we are not with you in spirit and in prayer. Daniel chapter 4 says, King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. So Daniel chapter 4 is a letter, an official letter from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to all of the people. Now, there's a little bit of hyperbole, and he's saying to all of the people who live on the earth, um, America or uh, Western culture is not the first culture to think that we have discovered things that were already discovered. You know, when I was a kid, you were told what? 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and he discovered America. Well, what about the people that were already living there? Like, didn't they discover it first? Not to mention the Vikings who really were the first Europeans to get to uh, North America. But we're not the first people to think that, that we had the monopoly on things. And so, uh, you know, Babylon is the dominant world empire at that point in human history. And so he's saying, hey, if I'm writing to you, you're all that matters. But it's not unreasonable to think that maybe he would have sent this to his ambassadors and emissaries and other uh, palaces and courts of other kingdoms and empires. And he's testifying. He's saying an official letter about what's happened to him. He says, may you prosper greatly. 
Verse 2, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream. They could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while I was lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew very large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in the branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision, I saw while lying in bed and I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, and he called out with a loud voice, Cut down the tree. Trim off its branches. Strip it of its leaves. Scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him, oh, the tree is a person. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision was announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, Visible to the whole earth, 
with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in the branches for the birds. Your majesty, you, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze, the grass in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And it is a decree from the Most High who is issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people. You will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, please accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is it not this great Babylon that I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like oxen. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over kings, kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is God's word. I believe that it is true. I believe that it is accurate. And I believe that it is authoritative to speak to the lives of those who do not believe and those who do believe. Every person, every person has a sin 
problem. Every person has a sin problem. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The message of the Christian faith is that there is no one, not one, who is right before God in and of themselves, except for Jesus Christ. The only person who has ever lived who could stand before God the Father in his humanity and say, I have done nothing wrong is Jesus. Every other person has a sin problem. Psalm chapter 51 verse 5 in the Hebrew scripture, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 in the New Testament, both tell us that human beings are born sinners by nature. It's just who we are when we're born. You and you and you and me and you and the person sitting next to you and the person you think is the best person ever and the person you think is the worst person ever, all of us, we were born into a sinful world and we were born with a sin nature. We were sinners by nature. And then it didn't take long for us to become sinners by action. No one had to teach my kids how to sin. They just knew how to do it. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, babysitters, whoever you are, you remember the first time you saw that sweet little sinner of a child look at you and get that little evil smile, that sweet, wonderful, evil smile that they get because they know that what they are doing is what they are not supposed to do, but they look at you and then they grab the cookie or they hit their brother, or they do whatever thing it is they're not supposed to do. You know that that is true. No one had to teach my children how to sin, just as no one had to teach me how to sin. I was born a sinner by nature, and it didn't take me long to become a sinner by action. Every person has a sin problem, and we are no different than Nebuchadnezzar was. He just had more opportunity, perhaps. But all of us, all of us are born with a sin problem. In verse 4, he says, I was contented. I was prosperous. Don't mistake the comfort or peace of your life or your world as the absence of a sin problem. Don't mistake it. We know, we know that sometimes the absence of strife, that the, the contentment, that the peace that we are experiencing can be a fiction. It can be an absolute fiction. There are people who you would say, oh, I don't have a care in the world. I don't have any problem at all. But below the surface is sin after sin after sin after sin. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, I was content. I was prosperous. He was literally the most successful, well-off person in the entire world at that point and at that time. Verse 22. Think about this. 
In verse 22, the king says, or sorry, Daniel says to the king, your majesty, you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Think about the best, quote unquote, the best people that you know of, either personally or you know of by their fame, the most successful, the most talented, the most accomplished, the most eloquent, whatever it is that you esteem or value. And that's different things for different people. But whatever it is that you esteem and you value, and then you say, that's the best example of that. When you think of that, what's Daniel's word to the best of his day? That God has decreed judgment on you for your wickedness. For your wickedness. He says that you... You need to repent. He, 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 says, he says, oh king, you've been warned. Please accept my advice, verse 27. Renounce your sins. Do what is right. Re renounce your wickedness. Be kind to the oppressed. Every person has a sin problem. And what are we told? Verse 28 all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. 12 months later. There are three challenges for us this morning. And the first is this, be patient. Now this can mean, this is a double-sided sword or a two-edged sword or there's two sides to this coin, whatever metaphor you want. Be patient. If you're looking around the world and you see the success of the wicked, if you're looking around the world and you see people whose accomplishment has been built on the backs of oppression, know that God is not unaware and that God is not inactive. It could be, it could be, that God is giving them time to repent. And we're sitting there going, God, when are you going to judge them? And he's saying, child, peace, patience. I died for them too. And I'm giving them time to repent. It could also be that it takes time because when his judgment was brought about, it was for the purpose of humbling him to bring him to a place of repentance. Have you been praying for your children, for your grandchildren? Have you been praying for your, for your parents? It used to be it was only parents or grandparents that prayed for their wayward children. More and more and more, I am talking to children, adult children who are praying for their sinful and wayward parents or grandparents. You've been praying for somebody. You've been seeking the Lord on their behalf. Be patient because God is working. And you say, God, why haven't you, why haven't you brought them to faith today? Because God is working and maybe he knows that it's going to take 12 months. Maybe he knows it's going to take seven years. Be patient and keep praying. If you're a parent, a grandparent praying for a wayward child, if you're a child who is praying for parents who are unrepentant sinners, don't give up hope. Be patient. Keep praying. That's the first challenge. Every person has a sin problem. We need to be patient knowing that God will do his work. 
Every person has a sin problem. Every Christian, every Christian holds the answer. Every Christian has the answer. One of the things that I find when we talk about sharing our faith is that there are Christians who say, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. Adam, you, you went to Bible college. You're going to, to pastor school. You're, you're doing, you've been educated. You've read, you know how to tell people about Jesus, but I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't believe that. Verse six, chapter four, verse six says, so I commanded that the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians and the enchanters and astrologers came and I told them the dream, they could not interpret it for me. They could not interpret it for me. Because people, they're going all over the place to find answers. They're, they're going all over the place. We talked about this a few weeks ago. How, how it's basically as if Nebuchadnezzar has a problem, and so he's called his doctor, and his lawyer, and his investment banker, and a psychologist, and a psychic, and everyone he's, he thinks could have an answer. And he's called them all, and they're doing nothing. But then, verse 8, it says, Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. We can proclaim Jesus because we know Jesus. Daniel could speak for God because he knew God. Daniel was a servant of God. He was the follower of the true God. He was, he was living as best he could after God's ways. Daniel could bring the king what he knew and what he knew was the true God of this world the true creator of this universe. We can proclaim Jesus if we know Jesus. I have talked to people over the years as a pastor, churchgoers, and they say, you know, I don't know. I don't really know how to share my faith. I don't know that I feel comfortable. And, and real quickly, you figure out it's one of two things. Now, first is just they're not comfortable just because they haven't done it. You know, we're comfortable doing things that we do often. Um, those of you that are really handy with fixing cars, why? Well, you do it. Uh, I open up the hood of my car and I'm freaking out because I don't ever work on cars. You're comfortable doing things that, that you do repeatedly. Uh, I've learned in the last couple of years how to, I'm not a handy person, but I've learned how to change a light fixture. Well, now I'm kind of comfortable. If a light fixture goes out, I go, oh, okay, I know how to do that. I've done it before. So some people are uncomfortable sharing their faith just because they just haven't done it and it just takes practice. Some people are uncomfortable because the truth is they don't have faith. They have church. They have relationship with people of faith. But they themselves, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, how can you share Jesus? If Jesus hasn't transformed your heart, how can you tell anyone else what that transformation is all about? Somebody comes to you and they say, I've got this big philosophical question. You say, I don't know about that. Can we find out together? That's totally fine. But somebody comes to you and they say, 
what does being a Christian mean for you? And you can say, this is who I was, and then Jesus happened, and this is who I am now. This is where I was, and then Jesus happened, and this is where I'm going. If you have Jesus, you can share Jesus. I don't have all the answers to every question anyone's ever asked. I'm thankful for people that think about a lot of different things and have written about a lot of different things, but I have Jesus. Everyone has a sin problem, and every true Christian has the answer. Now, again, could somebody have a specific question and we say, I know that Jesus is the answer. I don't yet know how Jesus is the answer that way, and so let's research that together. Totally fine. But Daniel knew the answer. And I'm going to say most of the time you know the answer. The issue isn't whether we know the answer, it's whether we want to say the answer. Verse 18 and 19, Daniel didn't want to give, give the king the truth because the truth was uncomfortable. Imagine you're at work and you get the company's quarterly reports And business is bad. And the boss is saying, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And the truth is, everybody in the room knows that it's the boss's fault. Nobody wants to be the first person to say that. Because nobody wants to be the person that gets fired. Well, if you're in Daniel's position, it's not about just losing your job. It could literally be about losing your head. But we also see that there, there might have been some real relationship built up between Daniel and the king. That his official Babylonian name is Belshazzar, but the king multiple times refers to him as Daniel. That there's a familiarity in the way the king is talking to Daniel. Sometimes the, the person that it's hardest to speak the truth to is the person that I'm closest to, which seems counterintuitive, right? The person that I have the most relationship, the person I have the most closeness to, and yet sometimes it's the hardest person to speak to, or it's the hardest person for me to hear from. Nobody wants to say uncomfortable truths. I can say racism is bad, and I'm not worried about Anybody, because nobody is going to blast me for saying racism is bad. But, you know, if we've been going through on the 20-minute Bible study, going through the book of Exodus, and there's a lot of stuff in there about how to treat the, the oppressed, the poor, the foreigner, the alien, the refugee. And some of that is connected to racism. Some of it's not. Those are biblical truths, and they are hard for some people to hear because they don't fit our worldview. I could say racism is bad, and nobody will blast me, and I say racism is a sin, and nobody will blast me. But if you say how you are living out your sexuality is outside of God's plan, and a whole different group of people are mad at you because it doesn't fit their worldview, Daniel was uncomfortable because this truth, the, the judgment's coming against you. That's the second challenge, to speak the truth. 
Exiles speak the truth. Every week we're talking about what exiles do. How do we live as exiles? Part of living as exiles, I think one of the the tricks is when we were the dominant force in the culture or when we thought we were or when the dominant force had co-opted us, however you want to look at it, it was easy to speak the biblical truth. But we're not the dominant force in the culture anymore. And then there are people who say, well, since we're not the dominant force in the culture anymore, we, we shouldn't speak the truth of God's word. And I don't believe that's true. Now, you got to know when to speak. You got to have wisdom. You got you to say, Lord, teach me what to say. What's important right now? But you still have to speak the truth. The first challenge is to be patient, but the second challenge is to speak the truth. And there comes a point where you can say, oh, I'm just being patient. But the truth is, no, we're, we're, we're putting things off. We're procrastinating or we're cowards. Did he just call me a coward? Probably not you. Probably the person next to you or me or somebody else. But, but what I'm saying is, is that we have a challenge to speak the truth. Daniel had to speak truth to power, even though it could mean his life. This is what God had said. Every person has a sin problem. Every Christian has the answer and everyone makes their own choice. In verse 30, he receives the judgment, but it was for his own choice. He chose to ignore God's warning. And Nebuchadnezzar, we're on like a three-chapter story arc for Nebuchadnezzar. He ignored the warnings of God in chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will end someday. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, you have put up this false idol, but there is a true God, and you have seen his power. And here in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, your pride and your wickedness will bring you down. Repent. And God gave him 12 months, a full year from that point to repent. And he did not. Everyone has to make their own choice. His judgment was the result of his choice. And you can't make the choices for that person you've been praying for. And if you see them living, and it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to see the people we love make the choices that we know are hurting or killing them. But they have to make their own choice. Can I say a word of comfort, though? His restoration was also part of his choice because he chose to humble himself and look up to heaven. It took him seven years. It would have been so much better if he had just repented when Daniel gave him this message. But he looked up to heaven and he repented. And he was brought into a place of restoration. His sanity, his health, his personal hygiene, which sometimes, I mean, sometimes that's a thing too. His relationships were restored. There was a place of restoration. You know, people think about like Christianity and they say, oh, it's just a, you know, just a bunch of people, hypocrites trying to push some rules. The reason that we talk about, let me give you an example here. Let me just pick low-hanging fruit. The reason we talk about sobriety, not being controlled by substances, is not so that we could feel better about ourselves. I'm better than that person because I don't do that thing. It's because we're tired 
of seeing lives destroyed and relationships broken and lives ruined and sanity lost. We want to see sanity restored and relationships restored and lives restored and health restored. The message, the good news, the gospel of the Christian faith is a is a message of restoration. Restoration between God and people. And because of that restoring work, we also see restoration between us and other people, between families and communities and lives and sanity and health and all of these things. We have to be patient. We have to speak the truth. But the final challenge is that we need to call people to repentance by modeling repentance in our own lives. When you're in the place of power or authority, when you're the dominant force in the culture, then you can try to bring people to repentance at the point of a sword or under threat of of consequence. But when you're in exile, you can't do that. And I believe that the people of God have always been meant to be true exiles. And... We call people to repentance, but the danger is that we tell them to repent and then we don't repent ourselves. The best way that we can call people to repentance is by modeling repentance in our own life. By modeling repentance in our own life. I can tell you don't do this or be like that or whatever, but Jesus, can your love be in me? Can your mercy be in me? Can your truth be in me? Can your holiness be in me? Can people see somebody who is, is humble enough to say, I'm, I'm wrong there. Can you forgive me? And move forward in repentance and change. Everyone makes their own choice. So I can't make you believe You can't make somebody change, but I make a choice too. I can choose to trust God. I can choose to speak the truth. I can choose to live the truth through repentance, to turn away from my wickedness, to turn away from my lack of kindness or my supporting of oppression in any way. Lord, show me. There's that saying, you know, we preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Well, I'm going to tell you, words are probably going to be necessary. But we preach the gospel through our words and our deeds. And we live in a world that is broken, that is wicked. But we bring a message of hope and change. And if you know that you're like Nebuchadnezzar, I have been living On my own, I have been living in wickedness. I have been living in in oppression. I have not been kind. I have been arrogant. I have thought myself so strong. And now I can look at my life and I can see that I have been broken. It's as if I've been living out in the field as if I were a wild animal. Look to heaven and cry out to Jesus for that restoration. And for those of us who have experience that restoration. Let's not forget where Jesus has brought us from, lest we might think better of ourselves than we should. 
walking continually in humility and hope, in repentance and restoration, knowing that where we've been praying people from, Lord, bring them out of that, we know that somebody prayed us for us. And they said, Lord, bring Adam out of that. Be patient. Trust the Lord. Speak the truth wherever the Lord gives you the opportunity. And model repentance wherever and whenever you can. God bless you. God loves you. We'll see you this Wednesday on our Zoom group next week, 10.30 a.m.